You're listening to the Chickens Can't See Cubes Oscars Special, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. And today's strange but 100% true facts will, of course, be all about the Oscars. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me, as always, is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello. Uh, Chris has gathered his favourite Academy Awards-based facts from the Institute's archives, and he's going to share them with us today. But before we get started, as it's the Oscar special and we didn't want a bunch of films to get all the glory, we decided to do our own awards for the podcast, which we will be announcing throughout the show. Uh, There are five categories, and the winner of each category will get the basic uh, recognition of a job well done, I guess. I mean, we've got nothing else. Um, So before the film-based facts, here is the first category of the fact-based awards. And the first category is best song. So we've had a lot of songs on this show, haven't we, Chris? Um, You know, songs in facts. Um, And I think think the, uh, the, the nominations do appropriately i'm just making stuff up now like i'm just gonna say um (laughs) um uh, what am i trying to say here and the nominations do represent the very best of those songs and the first nomination is asbestos yes it was a song advertising the positive qualities of asbestos set to the song The Best, popularised by Tina Turner. And so Asbestos is spelt A-S, capital B-E-S-T-O-S. So Asbestos. The chorus goes something like, you're simply Asbestos, better than all the Asrestos. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure all our regular listeners can uh, will, will remember that fondly. Um, <laughs> uh, the second nomination is Umbrella Disagreement by Medium Settings. Yes, this was a song by a group of mediums who supposedly channeled the spirits of dead musicians, including David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix and John Bonham, to allow those dead musicians to express their their musical vision from beyond the grave. You do that last line again, Chris, because it, it didn't sound like you put enough oomph into it. Oh, sorry. Uh, to express their musical vision from beyond the grave. Perfect. That's what I wanted. Uh, the third nomination is <laughs> is My Bum Itches. That's the third one by, uh, I guess, a citizen of, of Lubov. Uh, yes, Lubov being the village in which everybody has a genetic compulsion to sing and dance everything that they do. In this particular instance, that thing being having an itchy bottom and wanting to scratch it. Yeah, all 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 solid uh, songs, aren't they, Chris? Yes, very so. Not gaseous at all. Very solid. <laughs> no. <laughs> the one thing that you can say about them is they are songs. So let's uh, let's 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 work out who the winner's going to be. I've got it in this golden envelope that doesn't exist. I'm going to open it now. It it says on it. It says. I should pause for effect, shouldn't I? Because like on X Factor and stuff, and on I guess on the Oscars actually, they do the little pause where everyone goes quiet. That's enough. It's Umbrella Disagreement. So none of the mediums or dead musicians could be here in person to accept their award, partly because of COVID-19 restrictions and partly because they don't even know what's going on. But I'm sure that they're here in spirit. 
so to speak. <laughs> We're going to get on with our first fact of the show. Here to present the first fact of the 2021 Oscars special of Chickens Can't See Cubes, it's Christopher Parr of the Munchausen Institute. Hello. Yes, it's an honour to be here to talk about this fact that I've not made up. The Academy has sometimes had to give Oscar winners alternative trophies. Right, yeah. I mean, a lot of embarrassing things have happened at the Oscars, Chris. Like uh, Bjork laying a fucking egg on the red carpet in 2001. Anne Hathaway and James Franco being weird, making no sense, and presumably being hella coked up on stage at the 2011 awards. And of course, La La Land being incorrectly announced as 2017's Best Picture winner. But at all those, the namesake of the event was at least still in place. The Oscar that iconic statue of a faceless man holding a sword between his legs, the unmistakable phallic symbol of film for some reason. But what happens when the Oscar itself isn't at the Oscars, Chris? Well, you have to give you something else. Uh, For example, at the 1930 Oscars, uh, which took place at the start of the Great Depression, when being poor became all the rage, the Academy couldn't afford statuettes because they're expensive and had to award winners a certificate instead. So George Arliss, for example, was given a certificate saying, George Arliss is hereby awarded Best Actor for his role as Benjamin Disraeli in the film Disraeli. Well done, exclamation mark. Well, it's very factual. At least you know you've won. I think you'd know you'd won if you've got an actual statuette as well. (laughs) You're going to look at that and think, what the hell is this for? (laughs) You get on stage and you're like... Someone's just given me a a golden man. <laughs> yeah. I mean that. Okay, so that that's. I mean, I'd I'd be happy with a certificate, Chris. I'd be fine with that. But it is. It's already a fairly big step down from the original statuette. Obviously, did it ever get any worse than that? It got a lot worse the next year, balls deep into the Great Depression, when they couldn't even afford the printing costs of certificates. And winners were given just scraps of paper with IOU scrawled on them. So, for example, Marie Dressler, who won Best Actress for her role as Min Divot in the film Min and Bill, was handed a bubblegum wrapper with the words, IOU won Academy Award for Best Actress for your role as Min Divot in Min and Bill, written on it. Right, I just scrawled, not even typed up. We couldn't afford typing they can't afford to just get a certificate printed they can't afford typing can they yeah i suppose i suppose it's a lot cheaper these days than it was back then isn't it right fine so so they they just got a little 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 scrap of paper i mean you've still got the the kudos of winning the oscars technically i mean i'd still be happy with it I, i i would i think that'd be fine a little iou the great depression isn't the only time the u.s has struggled with economic downturns important export issues and even having basic materials though chris are are there any other times those issues have caused problems for the academy yeah uh, for a couple of years during world war ii when most metal was going to the war effort the academy gave winners what was basically just a cardboard cutout of the the oscar statuette okay right so so just literally just did it was it on a stand or just just like just handed him a piece of card it was on the the normal oscar stand 
but because they couldn't get the actual metal for the the actual statuette uh, that was just a piece of cardboard with a picture of the statuette slotted into it oh okay um well so it wasn't televised at this point was it the oscars i think it was 1950 when it started getting televised yeah yeah um so i mean presumably publicity shots as long as they're standing at the right angle you wouldn't be able to tell presumably yeah i mean it was a fairly good picture of the statuette on the cardboard so you're right in a, a photograph. I mean, photos are 2D anyway. So when you've got a fairly kind of 3D looking picture in a 2D photograph, it looks all right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably fool the public. <laughs> that'd be that'd be fine. As long as no one's doing like like hugging the statue or kissing the statue like they tend to do these days, all that sort of over-emotional rubbish. Just remembering the, the, the picture of um, Bong Joon-ho making his two Oscars kiss at the last Oscars. <laughs> yeah that certainly wouldn't have worked <laughs> no. um it's a good thing bong joon ho wasn't alive and making films in america in world <laughs> war ii yeah that's true that's true um uh, so are there any other times the award itself was substituted chris yeah in 1976 the academy switched manufacturer for the statuettes but the new manufacturer couldn't get the statuettes ready in time for that year's ceremony so the Academy had to scramble at the last minute to find replacements, most of which ended up coming from that year's host, Walter Matthau's house. So Michael Douglas and Saul Zantz, who accepted the award for Best Picture for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, were given a table leg. Sorry, did, sorry wait, hang on. A, did you just say a table leg? A table leg, the leg of a table, yes. I don't suppose Walter Matthau's table legs look like Oscars by coincidence, do they? No, they look like the legs of tables. Right, so literally just just, just, a, just a table. Right, okay. Milos Foreman, who won Best Director for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, was given a potted plant from Matthau's house. Well, a slight, a slight um, upgrade from a table leg, I think. At least you can sort of put that on display and it won't look too weird. <laughs> I suppose. A slight step down was for Louise Fletcher, who won Best Actress for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who was given a toilet brush. <coughs> toilet brush? A brush that you use to scrub your toilet, yeah. You know how we were saying earlier that, uh, well, I was saying that uh, if you're given a piece of paper that says something to do with the Oscars at the very least, you'd know you were getting recognition for the film. I mean, this is going to actually genuinely be confusing. Were they, were they, um, were they warned that they weren't going to get an actual Oscar? Uh, this is all very last minute, so no, they weren't. Right. So, I mean, I'm uh, trying to imagine them getting on stage and going, thank you, why? <laughs> I mean, did it, did it, I mean, did, did it have, I don't know, the category at least etched into it or something on, on, the, on the handle of the toilet brush? I mean, if they've not got time to get anything else, they won't have time to engrave the toilet brush, will they? No, no, I guess not. I guess not. Um, and Jack Nicholson, who won Best Actor for a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, was given Walter Matthau's Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he got an actual award. Yeah, I mean, I know this is 1976, Chris, but you can get most of the Oscars on the uh, on 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 the YouTube's now, can't you? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if I looked up 1976 Oscars, like the televised version, you'd, you'd see them getting Oscars. Otherwise, that'd be a I'd have heard of this before, surely. Well, yes. So these these last minute replacements, like toilet brushes, were televised at the time. About ten years ago, the Academy did digitally restore 
the footage from the 1976 ceremony and added CGI Oscars over the toilet brushes and the, the table legs and just then pretended that it never been anything but actual Oscars. Are you trying to tell me, Chris, that this is a cover-up? Yes, yes, they have covered up the, the, the toilet brush, yeah. Amazing. Well, that's very exciting for me, obviously. So, so these table legs and potted plants and also like the little scraps of paper that we mentioned earlier and uh, certificates and things, these uh, alternative trophies, when people are expecting to get like a proper man with a sword, were they, did, they, did they like this? Are they all right with it? Were the alternative trophies always well received? Most recipients will tell you that it's the winning, um, it's the recognition of your peers that's important and not the actual uh, statuette or whatever it is that you're given. So most of them will tell you that it's it's fine. That being said, seeing your peers win lovely gold trophies in previous years and then being handed a toilet brush can't be great for your self-esteem. No, I mean, it's almost worse than not getting anything at all. Almost. Symbolically, at least. Almost, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a toilet brush of all things. Do, uh, do any of these, uh, these, these wonderful alternatives um, to, to actual uh, physical Oscars, do, they, do any of them still survive? Are they they're still any around? Most of the recipients of these alternatives were later on given the opportunity to exchange them for an actual statuette. Some people did keep theirs, though. Norma Shearer, who won Best Actress in 1930, kept her certificate. John Ford never turned in his cardboard cutout for Best Director for How Great Was My Valley. Perhaps out of shame, knowing that Orson Welles should obviously have won that award for Citizen Kane. I I mean, I know nothing about film, so is that a controversial thing you just said? Uh, Citizen Kane didn't win Best Picture or Best Director, and it was... I think it was slightly controversial at the time, and it's just become, like, more controversial as the film has, like, you know, gained this, you know, massive classic status over the years. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Is it like um, Leonardo DiCaprio never winning an Oscar? No, because he did eventually win an Oscar, didn't he? It's not like Citizen Kane was released every year for several years and then not given an Oscar in any of those years. But I finally went, oh, fine, you keep releasing it. We'll give it one then. Yeah, right. It's on Blu-ray now. Surely the Blu-ray will get an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he's got one now, hasn't he, Leo? He, he climbed inside a bear or something. I can't... I, he... Yeah, he climbed inside a bear and they gave him an Oscar for it, yeah. He turned up to the bear and went, there you go, Leo. <laughs> um, um, and much to Walter Matthau's chagrin, Jack Nicholson kept Walter Matthau's Oscar. I mean, I don't blame him, to be honest. <laughs> If he's the only one that gets an Oscar that year, then, you know, an actual physical Oscar. Even if it's not his, it's like, no, find us keepers. Um, anyway, why, why is it, a, why the, the, the Oscars itself, the, the little dude, why is it a statue of a guy holding a sword? The image of a, a knight holding a sword was one of several proposed designs that they chose as the most aesthetically pleasing and practical to produce. Others were a a golden camera uh, that was considered too unwieldy and too detailed to produce in the numbers required for an Oscar ceremony. And a frog, which was considered completely irrelevant and absurd. I mean, it is completely irrelevant and absurd. 
at least the camera, yes, it's not easy to mass produce, but at least it does actually relate somehow to film. This is why I'm asking, Chris, because the, the dude holding a sword, is. what does that have to do with film? I think the idea is it's meant to be based on a knight from the Crusades, and the idea is that the Academy is crusading for filmic excellence or something. Yeah, it's a little tenuous, isn't it? Is the frog even more tenuous? Well, I mean, kind of not, because the idea of the frog was that there's a particular species of Californian frog, which is the only frog that makes the classic ribbit sound that you hear in Hollywood films. So it was seen as something kind of particular to the American film industry, to Hollywood itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that at least tells a, a cool story. That's cool. Um, but I guess most people would have thought, why is it a frog? It's films, isn't it? Yeah. Also, people would have gone, why is it a frog? But they don't. we know that the official name for the awards was never the Oscars originally, was it? It was just the Academy Awards for film or whatever. But then they called it the Oscars for some reason. I think it was because the statue reminded someone of the friend called Oscar or something. Their Uncle Oscar. Yeah, Uncle Oscar. Yeah, fine. But then this frog, what, what would the, you know, if they if that got a nickname, then it would just be like the Froggies or something. And then that, I feel like it wouldn't be taken quite as ser- seriously as the Oscars. It sounds much more upstanding, doesn't it? It's like, uh, yeah, but then it sounds upstanding because we've had uh, what like ninety odd years of it being called the Oscars. If we'd had 90 years of the, you know, the, the biggest film industry awards being called the Froggies, then the word Froggies might have the same kind of gravitas as Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the name Oscar was like back in the, uh, well, I guess, it was it was it around the start of it, it got started, started getting called the Oscars? Was it around the first one, that, like in the 30s when they started doing it? Oh, I think it was very early on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Maybe maybe the word Oscar back then was like, like the name what's a what's a shit name what's a weird name uh piper oh you fucking knew you were gonna do that <laughs> um ronald yeah maybe oscar back in the 30s was like the word like ronald is now for instance you know maybe it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird nerdy name it's not a very strong name maybe it's become a strong name because of the thing so so maybe if they were called froggies then we'd you know we'd think ah the frog is such a noble beast <laughs> now <laughs> well that's that fact uh, chris i reckon we should do <laughs> we should do uh we should do our own our own facts uh, our own um our own facts well have i got exciting news for you piper <laughs> you shit should i do that again chris i think we should do a film related fact award should we do one go on then uh right well this one I'm not very good at announcing them, but like it's okay because I'm not at the Oscars. Um, this one's best screenplay, best screenplay, best screenplay of the facts that we've had so far in the last 43 episodes. Um, here are the nominations. The first one is Revolution Rides a Red Horse. Yes, this was uh, the Western written by Joseph Stalin, for which he attempted to kidnap Randolph Scott to film. The second nomination is Blockbuster. This was the screenplay by the Church of the Mighty King, a Polynesian cult based entirely around Jean-Claude Van Damme, JCVD, the muscles from Brussels, not to be confused with the Belgian bivalve superhero team, and would have featured a villain called Blockbuster, who would shout such memorable lines as, I hate walls, walls killed my parents, so I will kill walls. 
And if you love wolves so much, why don't you marry wolves? Brilliant. It's a classic. And the final nomination is The B&Q Movie. Uh, yes, this is, as the title suggests, a movie about B&Q, written in order to generate interest in the flagging DIY retail chain. I'm gonna I'm gonna announce the winner now. The winner the winner of best screenplay is the B and Q movie. Um, it just goes to show that you can do it if you B and Q it. As long as by it you mean develop a cynical cash grab of a screenplay designed to generate interest in a flagging DIY retail chain that never got produced but did win an award on the fact-based podcast. Live via audio link, the way we do it every time, here to announce fact two, it's Christopher Parr again. Hi again. It's an honour to be here and discussing the, the next facts, as I was going to anyway, even if this wasn't an Oscar-based episode. Yeah. <laughs> A film that doesn't exist won the Oscar for Best Film. Right, I know very little about this, to be honest, Chris. I'll be honest. Uh, I did some Googling, couldn't find anything about it. I mean, maybe the Academy managed to pay off a bunch of people and get it swept under the rug. But either way, I'm glad you're here to tell us more because I've got nothing. What happened? So filmmaker Alan Smithy wanted to satirise Hollywood's award circuit, which is notorious for largely only recognising films released towards the end of the year in what's called the awards season, reinforcing the impression of Academy voters as old white men whose memories are fading and can't reach back much further than just a, a few months. Right, okay, so this is a widely known phenomenon in the like in the in the in the Academy Awards then. Yes, uh, most films that end up getting Oscars or or which distributors or producers think will get nominations will be released between say October and December because if it's any earlier than that then Academy of Voters might forget that they came out. Right, okay. Okay. So this Alan Smithy guy, he he wanted to take the piss out of that as a as a thing. What did he do? So Smithy made a film called The Director released in January of 2014, which followed the production of a fictional film called A Real Film, which was itself about a director making a fake film to fool an awards body. And marketing for the director included a fake trailer for A Real Film. A Real Film being the fake film, not the actual real film that was the director. Right. Okay. So... (laughs) I was going to be fake confused, but I'm real confused. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So, so Alan Smithy made a film called The Director um, for the making of a film that doesn't exist called A Real Film and has never existed. But that film that didn't exist is about a director making a fake film. I'm with you so far, I think, Chris. Just about. I am just about with you. <laughs> How did he get away with getting the fake film to get into the running for the Oscars then? So during the nomination period in January of 2015, a year after the release of the director, Smithy submitted the fake film, a real film, for consideration 
banking on the Oscar voters just assuming that they'd watched this film for which there was marketing materials a year previously. Oh, okay. So so because the uh, the voter demographic here is is as you said in the uh, top of the uh, the fact old white men pretty much they 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 they're just not going to realize that it's not real and they're going to think okay well this is marketed we'd better better pretend at least we remember watching it <laughs> even though they probably they, well they would never have seen it in the first place so what happened at the award ceremony itself so the fake film a real film was nominated for and ended up winning best picture at the 2015 Oscars and Smithy revealed his prank in his acceptance speech, at which point he was stripped of his award and Best Picture was given to the film Spotlight instead, which is a real film and not a fake film. Yes, yeah, so Spotlight is a real film, uh, but a real film is actually a fake film. Yes. Thank you. So, so this, uh, the, the 2015 Oscars where, where Smithy revealed his prank in his acceptance speech... What what was that like then? So so did they just did someone come and run on stage and just say nope you can't have that and just like pulled it out of his hand? When you say he was stripped to the award, is that literally literally stripped, as in they took his clothes off? You're just being silly now. <laughs> I am being silly. Um, the hosts got word in their earpiece that I mean they knew anyway because they just said it out loud to all the people, but they got word in their earpiece to take the statuette off him and adapt spotlight instead. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, mean, I don't know what he expected. I mean, that's that's going to happen, isn't it? Because it's not. It's not even a, an actual film, and it would be just ridiculing the entire process of the Oscars, which I guess was his point. He kind of made his point there, really, didn't he, Chris? Uh, yes, that was the point he wanted to make. Yeah. So uh, this. I mean, I, obviously, I'm really excited about this. Uh, this non-existent film. There was actually so in the in the in the the film that did exist, the director, which was about the non-existent film there was a trailer for the non-existent film called a real film what was the trailer for a real film actually uh, what, what what was it like it was like an advert for the film it was about two minutes long and it like showed the, the plot of the film in condensed form the intention being to represent the film as appealingly as possible do you have any more any more than that other than other than just like describing to me what a trailer is no you asshole so uh, good are there any other pranks that have been played at the oscars chris the academy used to play a prank on leonardo dicaprio by not giving him an oscar for years <laughs> i mean that implies that it was uh, calculated oh, do you have information that we don't officially have chris i mean i, I thought i thought that was just because you know they just hadn't given him one yet no it was all a big prank it was a a simple lampoon on the academy's part <laughs> I hoped you'd say that. <laughs> and in 1999, someone replaced the envelope containing the winner of Best Picture with a joke envelope. So instead of announcing Shakespeare in Love as the winner, Harrison Ford read out the words, I need to do a poo-poo out of my bum-bum. <laughs> Why do you do this to me, Chris? Because sometimes I've, I'm like... I'm going to listen very carefully to make sure I I calculate a, a a nice a nice response, a good a good response to whatever the hell is going to come out of his mouth. And how how am I supposed to respond to that? Well, I suppose it's real and it happened, so I guess I will just respond to it properly. Interesting. <laughs> well, what we'll do then is we'll 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 we'll, we'll do another um, 
We'll do another announcement, Chris. Should we do another uh, another fact award? So this is the this is the third uh, category of the fact awards, which is best factress or uh, fact uh, woman featured in a fact. So uh, the nominations are Patience Dubois. Yeah, she is the boarding house owner who killed a bunch of people, and now her toilet's all full of all ghosts. Beautiful. Uh, second nomination is Kendra Vellini. Kendra Vellini is the patron saint of the internet, canonized by the Catholic Church after falling into an open manhole while updating her Instagram. And the and the final nomination for this category is Opal Fields. Mrs. Fields is the woman who believed she was dating Bigfoot. So the winner of Best Factress is Opal Fields. Opal Fields couldn't be with us today to accept her award because she is currently honeymooning with her husband, Bigfoot. They're having a great time, but I'm told that all their photos keep coming out all blurry and out of focus. <laughs> Flown in at the last minute in lieu of an appropriate expensive celebrity, here with our third fact, it's Christopher Parr. Hello again. Uh, this is getting increasingly tenuous. Yay. It's definitely, definitely still funny. <laughs> if you say so. Um... Someone used a formula to produce the perfect Oscar bait. Uh, everyone knows the voters at the Academy love certain themes or ideas in the films they go for. It's a skill in and of itself creating an Oscar-worthy film. And, and a lot of filmmakers going to the job wanted to do exactly that from the get-go. But I wasn't aware anyone had made a science of the predictability of the Academy Awards. What do we know, Chris? Yeah, so it's well known that certain types of films are more likely to be nominated for an Oscar, as you say. War films, historical dramas or epics, biopics about famous people, films about disability or mental illness, and films featuring either previously nominated actors and directors or popular actors or directors who have yet to receive a nomination are usually a safe bet for getting at least a nomination in the Oscars. Right. Okay. So so it is it is sort of a vaguely predictable at least what what things might get uh nominated each year. So so there's already sort of some predictability behind it. So who who who's this person that developed this formula, Chris? So mathematician Oscar Filman in 2011 developed a formula using all of those aspects and genres to come up with a film almost guaranteed to be at least nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. So Oscar Filman put through a an idea for a, a, a film that, that that should have got that should basically be easily get an Oscar. What was what was it about? So the proposed film was set during the American Civil War. So you've got war film and featured a paraplegic northern soldier, disability, who overcomes his physical disability and bipolar disorder, mental illness, to rescue slaves from the South. Well, yeah, that just hits all the notes, doesn't it? Which I guess was the point. 
Um, I guess I guess what we're all really wanting to know, Chris. I, I obviously this is this is all just sort of um, uh, this this is all a very good idea. But how did the film actually do? It didn't do. Directors uh, like Steven Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson, and actors such as Denzel Washington and Leonardo DiCaprio all turned the film down when Filmin tried to get it produced. And it ended up going through the Hollywood ringer and was eventually turned into a straight-to-video horror film about southern slaves during the Civil War trapped in an underground railroad safe house with a monster. That received no nominations, mainly because as a straight-to-video film, it wasn't actually eligible. Oh right, they only they only they only do stuff that's that's been on at the cinema. Uh, yes. Oh, fucking elitist wankers. All right, fine. <laughs> so 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 all right. So all of these people turned it down, even though it was a surefire Oscar winner. Why? Uh, so, it, but then it then it then it completely changed as uh, conceptually to be basically nothing like what he wanted it to be in the first place. That's what I said. Yes, that's what you said. I was just I was just paraphrasing for literally no reason. Um. All right, so this uh, this guy then, this um, Oscar Filman, is he has he developed any other predictive formulae regarding popular culture? He's um, he's tried his hand at a couple of other cultural mainstays. He came up with an algorithm to create a superhero. The result of which was an alien whose parents were killed by criminals driving a lorry transporting radioactive material in a laboratory during a lightning storm. And who became Captain Superhero. Captain Superhero. <laughs> and he also tried to use mathematics to come up with the perfect pop song lyrics. The result being a song called Babies. The lyrics to which went, I love babies, 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 babies. I love babies, oh yeah. I love babies, 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 babies. I love babies, oh yeah, babies. Right, yeah, I I see what's happened there. I think maybe you should just stick to his uh, st- stick to his his cold hard numbers and not get involved in popular culture because actually it, it it there's a lot of variables involved in art, Chris, and they're 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 subject they're, they're subjective based on on human analytical something. Like, I mean, you can't you can't you can't fucking define art with numbers, can you? I guess is the point of this entire thing. I'm just not. Don't say that. Don't put that in because that's like the that's like the thing that we're saying. <laughs> don't say the thing because then then it's not funny anymore. Um. Uh. All right. Good. Well, I mean, I've said a few things. You can just cut it whenever you want. Um. What we'll do, Chris, is we'll do the. Is it fourth? Fourth one now. I've lost count now. Yeah. No, it's third. No, it's fourth. <laughs> Best song. Best screenplay, best actress, best factor. Okay, cool. What we'll do now, Chris, is we'll do the uh, fourth category of our fact awards. Uh, this one is best factor, which is um, man featured in a fact. Here are the nominations. First up is Donald Trump. I don't know if you even need to introduce Donald Trump, do you? <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll give it a go just for anybody who isn't aware. Uh, Donald Trump is a wealthy man baby and aspiring fascist dictator beautiful yeah and he has featured in i mean i can't give you the exact number but a fair few of our facts actually have involved donald trump he even even featured on the show himself didn't he uh yes 
Yes, he did actually call in. That was real. <laughs> uh, the second nomination is Barry Donoghue. Barry Donoghue is the Australian man who does not hold the record for the most failed world record. But who knows, maybe he'll walk away your winner tonight. Yes, one can only hope so. And the third and final nomination is Alvar Hockanen. Yes, um, Alvar Hockanen is the Finnish man who believes he's invisible, but is not actually invisible. Yes, all very strong contenders. I'm going to open my invisible, non-existent golden envelope. Does the envelope believe it's invisible? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a non-sentient object, Chris. So, I mean, as, far, as much as I thought you were going to say that, I really don't know why you did. The winner of Best Factor is Donald Trump. In an unusual turn of events, Trump, well known for his graciousness and sense of fair play, asked that the votes be recounted to eliminate any suspicions of corruption. After the recount, the winner was actually revealed to be Alvar Hakanen, at which point Trump declared the vote the most fraudulent vote in the history of this or any other universe, demanded that the vote counting simultaneously continue and be stopped, despite the fact that it was already completed, and then went to play golf. Well, I mean, Chris, if you if you enjoyed if you enjoyed the last introduction of the facts, what you, uh, of fact three, um, you're really going to enjoy this one because it's well, no spoilers, but it's a, it's along the same lines. <laughs> As a last minute treat for our listeners, the last fact of the show will be told to us by none other than fact extraordinaire Christopher Parr. Hello, it's an honour to be here. You're such a lovely audience. I'd like to take you home with me, but I can't because that would be physically. And probably legally impossible. Um, um, There are awards for the most mediocre films. If you know film, you know the Oscars. If you really know film, you know the Golden Raspberry Awards, the annual awards for the the worst films of the year. But not many know that there are awards for just okay films, films that are fine. What What are these awards, Chris? So, yeah, so as you say, obviously, there are the Oscars, which recognise the best films and filmmaking, and the Razzies, as they're known, uh, which recognise the worst films and filmmaking. But there are also the Melons, whose statuette is a pewter honeydew melon, which awards the year's most average, fine and all right films performances and technical achievements, for want of a better word. Chris, why are they called melons? Is it some sort of booby thing? No, uh, you're thinking of the jugs, the awards for the the best breasts in films. Pamela Anderson has a pair of jugs. Yes, I guess that's factually correct. All right, so so the melons is a, a thing that I have to get used to existing in the world. Uh, what criteria does a film have to fit to be nominated for a melon? To be considered for a melon, a film must be average in, in almost every way. It must not have been nominated for either an Oscar or a Razzie in any category. It must have a Metacritic score of between 40 and 60. And it must not have made more than either $50 million or double its budget by the box office. 
Oh, okay. I mean, it's 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 still a fairly wide, uh, wide sort of scope for for different films. So that's 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 good. Um, what what categories can a film be nominated for then? And largely the same categories as the Oscars and the Razzies: a mediocre film, mediocre director, mediocre actor, mediocre actress. Similar to the Oscars, they also have a lifetime non-achievement award for filmmakers who have made no discernible mark on the industry. Oh, right. Okay. So, so, so they're, I mean, they're celebrating mediocrity is almost like a, 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 it's almost a strange thing to do. So I'm getting used to this as a concept, Chris, but that's, that's, that's fine. Um, so it's, it's a lifetime of basically making film and that is the best you can say for it. <laughs> so who's, who's, um, who started? Who started the melons? Then whose whose idea was this? Um, it was a group of uh, UCLA film school students who started a, f- a few years after the Razzies started in response to that, thinking that uh, you've got a awards for the worst films, but what about you know all the other ones? Right, I see. So they they literally were just looking at the gap in the market for film awards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. If you're straight out of university with no ideas. And realise you're basically not going to get a job in film because, let's face it, you've not you've not like got a MA or a PhD, uh, and it's quite a saturated market. Then you've got to do something, haven't you? Let's create an award. <laughs> so, so who's um? Let's talk about who's actually won these uh, these awards, then, Chris. Who's actually won a melon before? Notable, for want of a better word, winners include Hoodwinked for mediocre animated film. Um, can you remind me what that is? Because I've got it in the back of my head as a thing I think I may have seen. It was like a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. Um, it was basically doing like Rashomon, but with fairy tale characters. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's the thing is, Chris. I think there is possibly a reason why I had to ask you what it was, even though I've seen it, and that may be the same reason as to why it won a melon. <laughs> Harrison Ford won mediocre actor for his role in What Lies Beneath. Oh God! I right. Listen, I I wouldn't say that was necessarily mediocre, but it wasn't. I guess it. I guess it wasn't so much um, interesting because of his, um, his 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 acting skills. Actually, yeah, yeah, his acting skills were really mediocre. The only thing I can say about it is that he just got. I didn't want to see his nipples, Chris. That was that was the thing that I just didn't like about that film. I was just that's yeah, yeah, okay. His his acting skills were completely mediocre in that. Basically, I was going to disagree with you because I was like, no, it was really remarkable in a bad way because I I really didn't need to see his very 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 inordinately almost defying the laws of physics hairy chest. But yes, it's nothing to do with his acting skills. Actually, now I think about it, so yeah, fair enough. I don't actually remember his acting skills at all, so they can't really be that remarkable. Fair enough. Yep, well-deserved. Well-deserved. Vera Farmiga won mediocre actress for her role in The Judge, which was a film with Robert Downey Jr. in it, and it was all right, I guess. Yeah, I uh, I don't remember that at all, Chris. The Men Who Stare at Goats won mediocre film one year. Whoa, shit. No, I saw that. I saw that at the cinema. Yeah, it's it's all right, isn't it? It's okay. It's fine. I mean, it's, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> the thing is, I'm trying desperately to find things to say about these things, and actually, well, that's kind of the point, isn't there's it? There's a good reason why there isn't anything. 
And editor John W. Wheeler won a Lifetime Non-Achievement Award for the editing that he did, which was all right. What did he, what, 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 what was his, what were his highlights? What film, well, or his sort of like, not low lights, not highlights, just lights. The most notable film he edited was Star Trek First Contact, which isn't a film known for its editing. No, it is not. It's known for other things like having a sexy ball queen in it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm bored of this, Chris, now. What I want to do is I want to do stuff about us again. Do you remember us? Remember our podcast? And the podcast we're doing right now. Yes, I do remember that. Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're paying attention. We're going to do the last category of the of the Fact Awards. This is the best one. It's the one everyone's literally been waiting for. It's the only reason anybody's been listening to this episode. So... It's that moment you've all been waiting for. This is the best fact of Chickens Can't See Cubes. And up to this point, we've had 168 facts on this show, which is incredible. And they've all been fucking great. So we've got six nominations here. The first one is Hitlermensch. Hitlermensch being the Nazi superhero who was a three metre tall hench Hitler. Very good description. I think that, that, that sums it up quite nicely. The second nomination is Dancing with a Star, that particular star being Charles Dance. Uh, yes, this was the unproduced reality dancing show that would have starred Charles Can't Dance if Charles Can't Dance could have danced. The third nomination is Monkey Police. Which is about police who are monkeys or monkeys who are police, depending on which way you, you view that particular paradigm. The, the next nomination is Dolphin Theatre. Yes, um, about dolphins who put on plays for each other, including reenacting the, the Steven Spielberg film Jaws. I'm sure we all remember that from the early days of the podcast. The fifth nomination is Santa's Zombie Children. Which is the rather alarming idea that in Turkey, Father Christmas comes into your house with three dead kids following him. <laughs> it's a very funny... Very festive. <laughs> yes, it's the true meaning of Christmas. Dead kids. <laughs> <laughs> and the sixth and final nomination, Bible World. Which is the theme park based entirely around the very exciting and commercially viable idea of the Bible. Okay, and the winner of best fact of the last 43 episodes of Chickens Can't See Cubes is... Hitler Mensch. Well, the Nazis didn't win World War II, but at least their superhero won Best Fact. Good for them. It's about time. That's it. You've been listening to the Chickens Can't See Cubes Oscars special with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray, which is, as everybody knows, M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes, that's S-W-E-C-U-B-E-S, and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Please be sure to rate and review the episode on whatever platform you use, it really helps us out. Thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could have made it up, but we haven't. Honest. <laughs> and we'll catch you once again on next week's Return to the Normal show. Goodbye. Bye.
Oh, cut that laugh out. I snorted far too much in that. <laughs> <laughs>